What's up guys, welcome back to Rebranding Safety, the podcast and YouTube channel, translating health and safety to help you save money and save lives in your business. So if you're new here, hit the subscribe button and the bell if you're on YouTube. And if you like this episode at the end, give us a rating, give us a review and a share, that would be awesome. Today we're talking all about how to manage compliance records, health and safety records with Matt Hodges Long, the expert in that because he owns a piece of software on it, which obviously he's gonna tell you about. So let's dive straight into the podcast. Health and safety is almost a victim of its own success. We need an oppressive regime of health and safety regulation. A huge fire engulfs the tower block in Children being forced to wear goggles to play conkers at school. Worst oil field disaster, 164 dead. Rebranding Safety, the modern health and safety podcast, crushing the stereotype. And your host, James McPherson. Okay, so we, we all pretty much know, everyone that listens to the podcast knows that, that I'm a massive advocate of kind of reducing the amount of paperwork that we that we have in our businesses. But in, in short, there is an importance of um, of having records and keeping records. And in some cases, it's a legal document. And I suppose that's what we're going to talk about today. Today, we've got um, Matt Hodges-Long, um, co-founder and CEO of Track My Risk. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Matt. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. That's okay. Thank you very much for coming on. Do you want to take us on a little journey, Matt, of um, kind of where where you started and and how you came to um, be the co-founder and CEO of Track My Risk and take us on a little story? Okay, I'll try and I'll try and do the expedited version because it could uh, <laughs> it could take the whole podcast just to talk through the history of that. Um, in short, um, started off in construction had a very near miss on a, a site that I was running that luckily nobody got killed or seriously injured but uh, caused a lot of property damage and a big insurance claim um, and uh, that sort of first switched me on to the whole sort of risk management piece um, number of years went by got into technology through different routes the early stage of the internet um, and ended up sort of then combining my property background with internet uh, online listings and sales of commercial property um, and then the Buntsfield um, uh, oil fire happened and uh, I had a sort of a, a deluge of calls from customers sort of saying, look, you know, we're, we're now out, you know, we, we, we are um, damaged, um, we need to, to get back online, can you help? And then from that sort of got into providing specific services around work area recovery and that sort of thing. So that's where my sort of world of getting involved then with business continuity people, a lot more sort of risk managers, health and safety happened along with the technology. Um, and this business sort of grew out of that experience, although it's a different business with a, a different business partner. Um, that's where the sort of the original idea came from. Um, and we just found that as we got more and more into working with companies and sort of said, well, look, where are your records? Where's a copy of your fire risk assessment? Show us your business continuity plan. You know, where's, where's your current insurance policy? Let's have a check of all of this. Um, we found that nobody could evidence that in a kind of a, yeah, here it is, 20 seconds later, there's the information you want. It was always, I need to go and speak to Deirdre, but Deirdre's on holiday because she looks after that bit and this bit's over here. Oh, I can't find that one or this one's three years out of date or whatever. So we got to think actually this small element of what we were building in Track My Risks for the sort of document management and uh, bless you, the, the document management and evidential piece, which was ever, only ever going to be a tiny bit, became the thing. Um, and 
the rest of our roadmap going forward got got slowed down so we can actually capitalize on the opportunity to sort the, the documentation and the, the evidence out. Um, so we sort of came up with this concept of a system of record. Um, and our view now is if it's not in there, it doesn't exist. And that's the sort of the mantra that we have with clients and say, if you need it, it's there. If it's not there, let's assume it doesn't exist. And then that, that's the way we move forward. And then uh, it becomes very obvious to say, does that organization have that underlying control or that mm. policy? Um, you can always debate whether it's you know, fit for purpose after the event, but let's first of all, let's see if we can find what we should have. Um, and that's sort of really where the whole sort of concept was, was born from. And it's great mm. since. So I suppose you kind of touched on that kind of messy um, nature that we have around record keeping. Yeah. And it's, it's always someone else's job on someone else's document. And, and from my experience as being a fire risk assessor, I was doing normal health and safety, you know, back in the day in like manufacturing. It seems to be this kind of continuous trend we're in, maybe as a nation. But then on the flip side, they go to a lot of businesses and there's just way too much paperwork. So like, what's the middle ground? We, we, we tend to look at the um, statutory documentation, the, the must-haves, and then you get into your kind of your, your important and best practice stuff and contextual stuff. Um, and then you get into your sort of spurious, not spurious, but you know, discretionary um, type of control documentation. And then it's a question of looking at it and saying, well, how rigidly do you need to manage this? So if, if, for example, the marketing team were, they could, they could bat the marketing plan back and forth on our platform in a controlled manner with okay. type, type permissioning, activity logging and everything like that. But I would suggest that that's probably overkill um, to deal with that kind of thing. But until it becomes something that you know, needs to be in the system of records. So let's say from a governance perspective, that marketing plan then forms part of an investment round. So at that point, that marketing plan needs to be fixed and controlled because it's part of a sort of a legal bundle of documentation. Mm. So we're very much about the system of record, not so much the production of documentation, not the, you know, the back and forth and the, you know, the, the mm. sort of pre-versioning. But when when something becomes version one, mm -hmm. then that's a version controlled document that should be in the system of record and then appropriately shared with the right people. But it's always a difficult point because um, we see, we do a lot of work in schools, for example, and we see you know, if, if we're permissioned into their environments, we see hundreds and hundreds of pieces of controlled documentation. Sometimes you can look at the, the headings and go, really, is that really that important? But I think what's more important is the organization believes it's important. Um, whereas quite often there'll be something that they require legally that they don't have. So at that point, if they ask us to critique whatever they've uploaded, I mean, I must admit that, you know, I must say that we don't by default see what customers are uploading into our platform. So it's only when they say, could you have a look at what we've done, they invite us in and then we can we can give them a few pointers. Um, so yeah, you do get a proliferation. So sort of a, an average school, you're looking at about two or 300 pieces of unique controlled documentation that they're tracking uh, in quite a small school, um, mm. usually on a spreadsheet with a, somebody that's trying to do their best. Um, mm. And a lot of it gets missed. So yeah, we, we take all of that um, kind of uh, ambiguity out of the process and then give give proper evidence to the governors and trustees and the regulators and the head that things are being dealt with appropriately and on time. Mm. I suppose a big thing for me, it, it sounds like it kind of gives confidence to the board and stuff like that. So if I think like 
who has kind of put myself in the in the position of the, the council the day after grandfather the morning they wake up they put the nudes on and they realize shit that's my building you, know, you want to have that that confidence to be able to know where everything is and, and i suppose maybe the problem is not the problem is not really the amount of paperwork you have it's is it the fact that they don't know they've got that much paperwork because it's all in so many different places and there's so yeah. many different versions and maybe well i think what you're saying is maybe if it was one controlled system and software or whatever one place that you rec- that you you monitor and you you can see then you know how much you've got so i suppose that's that yeah. maybe it's a problem yeah absolutely i think you sort of you know it's right to mention um grenfell's we sort of come up to the second anniversary and you know i think the um there you know i, I put something on linkedin about it the other day uh, around the fire service saying that they couldn't find the firebox in the reception mm-hmm. and you know where the plan should have been etc and i think my observation was one that yeah it's terrible it wasn't there but secondly what what century are we in that we're looking for a metal box in a burning building with bits of paper in it um you know we we have the ability right now to digitize all of that information uh make it available all of the time um keep it properly version controlled and also simulate against that you know why can't a fire service sitting in a conference room run a simulation that a large high-risk residential buildings on fire um can we get the information ping 20 seconds later yes we're in we're, we're managing we're simulating not turning up in a fire engine and knocking on the door and walking around and saying you know i think all of that stuff's important but um you know we shouldn't leave this sort of thing to surprise um mm. uh, you know i think it was um I'll, I'll choose my words carefully but um <laughs> certainly less than correct that that behavior not wanting to prejudice anything that's going to go through the court um yeah. but I, you know i think we will see change i'm pretty disappointed at the progress with the you know post hackett um seems to me that there's it seems quite opaque that whole process of implementing the hackett recommendations assuming that the hackett recommendations were fit for purpose and i think there's different schools of opinion on that um mm. But certainly the bit that I would see around the golden thread and the system of record, guys, just do it now. Start it now. Stop prevaricating, um, thinking about what technology you might use and how you might do it, and et cetera, et cetera. There's three and a half thousand buildings out there at the moment that need this now. Bloody well, do it. Um, mm. Even if you bin it later and change it for something else, get it done. Um, mm. my, my guess would be that a lot of those landlords or you know, responsible persons will not be able to find the correct suite of risk control documentation for each of those buildings. That's that's my guess based on what I've seen up until now. I hope I'm wrong, mm. but there will be massive in- inconsistencies in the record keeping, um, and it doesn't need to be that way. No, no, you're right, and it is. It's such a big thing, I think, Grumfell, and it, like you say, it's hard for us to comment, and we we can only really give our opinions and based on our own experience. But I think I think you're right in what you say about Hackett. The the progress is slow, um, but I think the the progress is is misguided to a point where I think we're focusing on the wrong things. I think Hackett's style um, and her. And, and that her, her style kind of continues in that in that document is all around culture. I think a lot of people forget that, that she's referring to two different industries there. She's referring to build, construction, and maintenance, housing. Mm-hmm. And they're two completely different industries and two completely different um, processes that, that join at one point. Um, 
but ultimately you know they're both responsible people like you say one's responsible for the build one's responsible for the for the for the maintenance of the property but the grenfell wasn't built yesterday and as much as yes it was refurbed you know quite recently prior to the fire um it was not built yesterday and there is no way in my opinion that that should have happened and there's no way and in, in, in people that i've spoken to fire engineers fire risk assessors fire service people that that should not have happened and the lady that was the head of training that, you know, on the inquiry said that you know that if someone come to me and said Let, let's do a simulation for grandfather or let's create a building and train if that happened she said i would have said no and i thought fair play to her Standing yeah, up yeah. and saying that after Grandfather, that that takes some balls, and to admit that that just was not reasonable, that was not feasible for that that to have happened. But you you are right to a point where, if it does happen, whether it's a small fire or a big fire, we should immediately know where we are, what we've done, and and how we are. That confidence piece. And that kind of compartmentation records, you know, building plans that we've got from the construction industry, and all that kind of thing, and it's having it in, having it in that one place, which we are just horrendous at. It's just I feel frustrating from my point of view that it's not difficult. I, I, but I, I think, and we'll, we'll come on to trap my wrist definitely. But I think um, we might end up coming onto it now, actually. But I think, in my, in my opinion, that there's a lot of software out there. But it's all right. This is a, for example, marketing software. This is the finance software, and this is the uh, health and safety software, and this is the compliance software. This is the HR software. There's not a here's a business software, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Or, or there may be, but I, I don't know. And if there is, uh, you know, you need to be shouting louder. And maybe that's what you're about to do. Um, but, but that kind of that one business solution. I think I, I think I'm a firm sort of advocate in sort of specialist software but i think there's absolutely no reason why they shouldn't integrate with each other so you know for example i you know i wouldn't although my platform can be used for basic sort of customer relationship management crm uh you know if you need to do that properly then go and get yourself salesforce or something like that if you want accounting go and get zero or you know whatever um our initial thought was that you know if i want marketing or automation i can go to hubspot you know if i want team collaboration and software i can go to uh, jira and atlassian etc cetera, etc cetera. but when i want to manage governance risk and compliance activity as a process within an organization it's like well i go to an excel spreadsheet typically um or i just don't do it or i do it patchily you know and, and really when you look at all of those things if you get your sales and marketing wrong yes commercially that can be really damaging because you don't sell enough um if you get your governance risk and compliance wrong you can go to prison or people can die but you haven't taken that as seriously as you take your accounting software or your, your, your whatever you know so get your ass in gear get it sorted suck it up nobody likes doing it get it done um <laughs> sleep easier because then if you are that uh, you know, you are one of the unlucky ones that has an incident. At least you know that you're not going to be found wanting for your record keeping. You know, and we deal with lots of companies that come to us and say, oh, we just failed a, you know, a regulatory inspection on our record keeping or whatever. We couldn't find X, Y and Z. Um, could you help us organize that so we can find it when we need it? Yes, absolutely. Um, this will stop you from letting it go out of date and beyond its expiry. Um, this will evidence the fact that those 12 people that need to see this whenever you reissue it have engaged with that underlying document. Um, oh, very easy. Get it set up and it kind of runs itself, but you've got to get off your ass and want to do it in the first place, which mm. is quite often where we 
come up against problems is that just people have the right intention but can't be bothered um, or you know that's probably a bit unfair but for whatever reason within their organization they don't devote enough time to getting it set up um, but a lot do you know but we can't force people to do it all we can say is that if you can't evidence this stuff and you're sitting in front of a judge or a regulator then your life is going to be a hell of a lot more stressful than it should have been if you'd have bothered to actually populate this information so mm. you know crack on um but yeah it's a difficult one it doesn't seem to be it weirdly doesn't seem to get taken as seriously as i think you would expect this subject matter to be taken and maybe that sort of come through in grenfell that it's all a bit laissez-faire even though you've got a very high risk building there full of a lot of vulnerable people mm. um you know they should have been on it i would imagine far more than they were or appear to have been yeah and i mean i suppose it's only right to say that there's a hell of a lot more complexities around around grandpa that i suppose that i suppose will come out as the inquiry progresses on um and and, and housing is it's a unique beast i will give it that but mm. i think to a point i think you're right is that in every industry where you know i, I recorded a podcast yesterday um that will come out in a few weeks around emergency planning and it was around i think it was around actually a story you shared on, on linkedin and um, that care home fire that happened in 2017 in oh right new range yes yeah where they got um they they finally got their their fine last a few months ago um and i just look at it and i thought my first reaction was not very big fine but the second reaction was was we seem to forget, and, and this is what I think you were talking, you were touching on, was that these are lives. You know, these are people's grandmas, brothers, sisters, mothers. Um, you know, these are people's family, people's friends. These are people that have touched other people's lives, and 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 you would have touched their lives. So you're putting at risk. You know, nobody nobody starts a business, or nobody goes into a business to kill someone. Well, hopefully not a lot of people do, but mm. you know, no one no one goes in to do a bad day's work. It's just that kind of complacency, I think, and we've we've become so inherently safe in our daily basis in the UK and and other kind of major countries, and we're pretty much around the world, to be honest. You know, we've we've come become so inherently safe at what we do that when it becomes when it comes to the real risk. We seem to forget because we just think, oh, everything's just safe nowadays. I think maybe it's that realization, and I would have hoped that that Grenfell would have opened our eyes to that. But like you said earlier, I just I don't think we're switching on. I just don't think we're switching on. I went to a, a housing conference a few months ago, and it was with the NFCC, the um, National Fire Chiefs Council. We're, we're giving this piece, and to be all they did was just bash the Hackett report because it didn't it didn't regulate sprinklers and all this whatever. And then there's a Labour government uh, people, Labour people came on and they just bashed Tories and then Tories came on and they just bashed Labour and I said, we're not getting anywhere here. And we finally got to a QA and a and all people asked was, um, when when you regulate sprinklers, we'll, we'll do it, essentially is what they were saying. But none of them had done it. And they were all asking questions around, should we do it? And the answer was always yes for a lot of these properties. And is the answer to install sprinklers everywhere? I don't think so. Compartmentation is an unbelievable, amazing system, but you've got to maintain it. And it's that kind of it's that kind of process. We just seem kind of naive, I think maybe is the best word. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're entirely right about the fact that very few people sort of set out in the morning to kill people and, and thankfully 
it doesn't happen that often um you know in in the grand scheme of things but you know if you are one of those people that um doesn't dodge the bullet so to speak um and, and you know statistically there will be some there are fires there are floods there are explosions or whatever um then you know you've at the very minimum you've got to make sure that you've got your paperwork in order that you've got your ass covered basically also that you're managing the risk effectively because you know you still even if you are technically um not culpable mm. it still wouldn't be in a nice position to be in that you know owning a care home where x number of people died in a fire um so i think as long as you know that you did everything that you possibly could prior to the event then i think you probably sleep easier at night you know and then, then there's because there's always that sort of gray area between are you culpable enough for enforcement you know you, the, the bar is quite high as was one of the an ex um, hse litigator once said to me when I sort of said I asked her what what the uh, what their win ratio was and she just sort of laughed at me and said well we never lose because we only prosecute the cases we're going to win um, mm -hmm. I won't say her name um, but um, I thought that was a very good point so I mean I think from a from a defensibility perspective if you can turn around and say well look here's my here's my historical um, control paperwork you know all of the dates line up everything was done you know we took all reasonable steps then I think you're probably going to introduce enough ambiguity into the case for them potentially not to want to prosecute um doesn't bring those people back but at least you know perhaps your business will continue i mean that's one of the things that if you look at the um, hse enforcements and then you actually look at the survivability of companies that receive a large hse fine there is a huge spike in company failures post um post fine um oh. because you know you, you you mentioned that that was quite a small amount of money um yes but in the context of a very low margin potentially barely profitable um care home that's probably game over who knows i don't know about that company i haven't looked into them but for a lot of them they just about manage so if you hit them with a 50 grand 100 grand fine or whatever that's probably you know index for that business um mm, and, point. you know it's just it's just nuts you know it probably could have been avoided you know with that one with a, a bit of evacuation planning and you know understanding what you're going to do in the event of a, a fire then you know they probably could have got those people out that was my read mm. of the situation yeah um, mine was the same just, yeah. yeah it's just crazy um, it, is, it is yeah and I, and I think i think i think that's a fair point about about the fine um the the sentencing guidance guidelines just obviously take that into account and and I suppose it's worth mentioning, well, without without repeating the podcast that is going to come out in a few weeks, that um, they're going to get smashed with civil claims as well. Um, and and I suppose for for anyone that doesn't know, it's uh, the criminal one is is um, is beyond reasonable doubt, which is obviously why the HSE won't take it unless they can prove beyond reasonable doubt you've done everything that's reasonably practicable as a business. Well, they're, they're two woolly phrases there, aren't they? Like, beyond reasonable doubt, reasonable, mm, okay, what's that mean? Well, that depends on the judge and the jury and the evidence. And then you've done everything that was reasonably practicable. You're like, whoa, hang on a minute. So that's, you know, obviously obviously why the HSE are quite rightly picked their, pick their fights, um, as anyone would. And then from... A civil law point of view it is much easier to get through you know it's um the balance of probabilities and that sort of yeah. thing that's the right phrase um and that which is much easier to prove and i think i think from a documentation point of view 
I would always say when I was doing fire risk assessment, I could probably tell in about five minutes whether it's going to be a good assessment or a bad assessment based yeah. on a few questions. One would normally be, have you got a fire strategy? Probably one of my first questions so that I can have a look at that over a cup of tea, have a nice conversation with them, and then we'll go for a walk around the building. Nine times out of 10, first answer was no. Okay, I've got the old, the old fire risk assessment. Oh yeah, it's in here somewhere. One second, big filing cabinet open, and, and you're like, it's going to be a bad day. It's going to be a bad day. It's going to be a long day. And when you look at that, and I think people are here in hospital trying to stay alive, and you're potentially putting their lives at risk. You may not be, but me as a fire risk assessor don't know that. So I don't know because you've not got these documents. So I'm always going to resort back to a risk of a, a averse position because I have no information. And I think we as business owners create ourselves a, um, a, a, a difficult situation because we force the fire risk assessor, it, just in this one, one experience, we, we force the fire risk assessor into a position where they have to raise a lot of stuff because they've got no information. And that's why you have those significant findings, which yeah, is a yeah. snagging list essentially of a building. And we force a fire assessor into a position because like you said earlier, we just don't have visibility of, the, of, of, of any of the stuff that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, you, I think you've got to assume that it doesn't exist, haven't you? As I sort of said at the start, you know, if you can't find it, it's useless. Mm. I'll assume it's not there. Um, and, you know, but if, if you, my view is if, if you've got those headings of things that you need in your system of record and they're grey because they're not there, then you can follow those steps to fill them up, you know, and then you've got something that you've got formal review dates on, you, you've got visibility and you know that the people that need to see it can see it. Um, and I think that's a key point rather than something being sort of lost in a filing cabinet or in a dusty kind of network folder somewhere that someone else has moved. Um, and, you know, is 25 layers of clicking into folders deep before you find the thing that you need. Um, and then is it backed up or whatever? And that's certainly a million miles away from you know the, the gold commander saying i need a copy of that fire strategy right now because um, i'm putting people into that building or i need to see the plans because you know i need a structural engineer to review this to tell me whether i can go up above a certain floor or whatever mm -hmm. or you know where are the dry risers where where's this where's that um but the, the question i was going to ask you james actually is when you when you found that sort of vague answer to the first question did that typically lead into you know the the sort of maintenance records being in pretty shit order as well you know in terms of you know when were those fire extinguishers last service when was there you know show me that show me, did you normally find other things as a result was that a leading indicator or nine times out of ten yes uh, i always found that things that are visible are managed things that are not visible are not managed so i always found nine times out of ten extinguishers were regularly service nearly all the time because they're visible they're there the, the record is on the extinguisher um and I, I i always found they were probably one of the best performing areas um things like maintenance records of alarms that's when you start dropping down i think um or they get a bit airy if you've got like a big system like a big hospital or something like that a contractor normally would service 25 percent every quarter as opposed to 100 percent in one visit because it's just this massive area 
And when you start actually drilling down into that, they'll, they'll give you four sheets of paper, but are they the right order and do they start matching up? And just start, you just start building this picture that you're trying to have a grasp on the property, but you haven't. But if you haven't got that fire strategy, you, you don't really know what you're looking for. So yes, in, in answer to your question, nine times out of 10, it, it does normally set a tone. But in defense to a lot of businesses, a fire strategy as a document is notoriously difficult to get. So I've gone to a lot of properties that don't have a fire strategy, um, even if it's a brand new building, and they still have all the maintenance. So so that one document doesn't set the tone, but normally within the next two or three questions or conversations, you know it's going to be a bad day. And it's if if you're not servicing the alarm, nine times out of ten, you're not serving it, servicing everything else. Uh, dry risers, I find dry risers are easily missed a lot of the time. I think people don't really understand what they are. When you go into housing, you've got other complications that back, back in the day when you didn't lock the dry risers, they were notorious for people hiding drugs up there. Um, they would, uh, quite interestingly, they would hang them down from the top so you go up to like the first or second floor and you will put your drugs in there on a piece of string, hang it down, and then you will go down to the inlet on the first floor and they would put like needles and sharps in there so you can put your hands in there. So it's a, housing so it's a whole new world. <laughs> housing is a beast. And that's why, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's all I'm new to some, me. Yeah, okay. And it's interesting, but like when you hear some of these stories and you're just like you can really start to understand how something like Grunfell actually came to happen and it is just a really fascinating industry but in we're going to drill it down to its basis form what is this we are selling profits that's what we're doing whether we rent them out lease them out or private sell them we are selling profits so would you sell a car that's not maintained no you wouldn't so why would we sell a property that's not maintained it's the same thing it's your asset and it's different as well i find sorry I'm, I'm kind of talking a bit more it's supposed to be me interviewing you um <laughs> i find as well if you go to like different industries have different priorities quite rightly if you go into like the nhs into like healthcare their clinical records are normally spot on um you know they go in and their clinical records are normally just down to a t and if you get a good matron as much as everyone thinks that role is kind of redundant now and it doesn't happen other than in carry on films you a matron is if you get a good matron it's a game changer they save that they're, they're awesome and they just keep that kind of clinical side going but they also keep their hand on the building maintenance side I, I find when you split them and you have clinical and estates it starts to slip a little bit which yeah, you yeah, think yeah. you think should be the other way around um, but I think it's because if you have it tied into that clinical role they know and understand what who it affects because they have that ownership of the patients and therefore they take ownership of the hospital I, that's just my interpretation of it and that might might be completely wrong it might be right I'm, i don't know yeah i think it, it's interesting your take on on records because you know the few times that i've sort of touched the nhs from a from a patient perspective with with family members where that's typically where we've had the issues has been with record keeping clinical record or the handover of records between hospitals that's typically okay. where it falls down because you know everybody seems to have their own record keeping system and then if you move between hospitals for whatever reason you end up I think finding the family have to fill in the blanks for everybody oh for sure um, and for sure. which which I thought was pretty bad and then the other issue I have with that is we do a lot of work around data protection and um, it's an interesting point that the amount of information that's in a paper record 
and the lack of security around that paper record. So when my mum was in hospital, we would just literally sort of go and grab her records from outside in the corridor and we'd rifle through them and find out what was going on and read them, you know, and it's sort of, well, you know, data breach, here we go. Um, you know, anybody could do that. But, you know, I haven't got a solution for that, by the way. I don't want to start. So but, yeah, it's interesting that, um, yeah, there the were, it did, I think that kind of organisation quite often does rely on people doing an exceptional job despite mm. the system. And thankfully, most true. of them do. And I think they're, you know, the NHS are wonderful, teachers are wonderful, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I just sort of feel we should be helping those people to do their jobs in a more effective way. And I think technology can really help there. But it yeah. doesn't have to be a 25 billion new NHS IT system or whatever like that. You know, there are plenty of platforms out there that could really help do bits of that process better. Mm. Um, I think what you have to remember with the NHS is, and this might might t might highlight the issue that you kind of went through, is that a lot of people think the NHS is the NHS. It's one it's one organisation, but each each area has a collection of trusts. Yeah. Um, so I live in Northamptonshire, um, and Northamptonshire would have NHFT, and then the General Hospital, Northampton General Hospital, that's its own trust with its own estates team. Um, Ketchum General is another local town that's got its own trust. Um, so they're all different businesses in a sense, in essence. And and as per any other kind of industry, handing records from one business to another business is always just yeah. messy. And and you you try doing that in a hospital environment, it's even worse. And I think that's where it falls down. So let let's say for example, I was still working in the NHS, and I was like, you know what? Chill, Matt, track my wrist is exactly what we need. I'm going to take this for the trust I work for. Now, I can't make the trust next door take that on. Yeah. But what we need is like kind of that the governmental decision or the NHS England decision. You're all going to take this because we want one system to talk to each other and work together. Now, yeah. it doesn't mean you as a people need to work together because we, well, you do, but um, we acknowledge that you are two separate businesses, but the system at least should work together. Yeah. And, and, and a good example of that happening is in the NHS to have an awesome, well, I want to say awesome because it's got its own problems, but it has a reasonably good incident reporting system, Datex. Now, a lot of nurses that might listen to this or doctors or anything like that, they'll fucking hate like, Datex, but... From, from my They'll be throwing view. rocks at their, at their <laughs> iPhones or whatever they're listening on, yeah. <laughs> but but um, Datex, they talk to each other. So NHFT, for example, would raise a Datex and all the other trusts that are connected with NHFT would see that. So if there was an incident in their hospital, the people in, in that hospital that are a tenant, essentially, would be able to see that or go and find it. And that was good. Um, yeah. It's not great. It could be much, much better, but it's just a good example of how of how we could be better. We had in schools, I was talking to a, a head teacher of a primary school a few weeks ago, and I sort of said to her, well, client of ours, and I said, uh, so just talking through, you know, talking about health and safety as, as one area of the, that she has to manage. And I said, well, so where do you, where do you get all of your, how do you know what to do? You know, how do you know what the law is? How do you know, you know what, what you need to do around managing health and safety effectively? And she said, well, I just kind of, speak to my other colleagues other heads around the area occasionally i get something from the local council that they might update me i read something in the newspaper or whatever and i kind of cobble it together 
And I said, well, how do you, your other heads around here do? And they said, well, they all do the same thing. So you've got all these little sort of cottage industries, effectively, these little mm-hmm. islands of, you know, I was sort of expecting this um, benevolent management layer at the local authority or whatever that would say, okay, I've got 48 schools in my patch. This is what they all need. I'm going to manage their compliance for them, whatever. No, this is, you're ahead. You've got somebody on the governor's who's notionally responsible for health and safety as well, or risk, and and between you, you're going to try and do your best to keep all of these kids safe and the other stuff. And I thought, this is just outrageous. Surely there must be a structured approach to this that's consistent and transparent. Um, And then I sort of think, no, stop, stop it. You know, stop thinking about how how things should work in the perfect world or, or could work. You know, this is reality, but it just seemed what a massive deviation from teaching kids how to read and write and be responsible human beings when you're spending more time thinking about do I need a fire risk assessment when do I need to do it again and do I need this and do I need that um, you know these people are, are educators first you know that then get sort of thrown this other responsibility in the same way that they've got to you know and they, they were talking about um, letting contracts for people to come and mow the lawns and the, the fields and things and you know I thought all of this administration and you know going out and getting your own contractor and due diligence and you know all of that stuff um risk assessment what this isn't educating you know why are they doing all of this non-educational stuff but it seems to be repeated up and down the land you know and it's sort of so i think definitely we can help with that and i think by templating it it really does simplify it to a degree but it doesn't do it for them it doesn't take all of the pain away but it certainly helps I suppose that's a good point then to kind of start talking about track my risks then. So I, I, I suppose I suppose let's, let's start with the question, you know, what, what was the moment that you that you thought uh, track my risk fills the gap? Was there a gap? You know, what was that kind of light bulb, mo- light bulb moment where you thought this is what we need, this is what the world needs or the business industry needs or whatever, um, and, they, and I know how to do it? So I think we knew... We knew that, uh, so so Richard and myself, it was Richard, my co-founder, we worked together sort of 16 years ago. He ran uh, digital web design agencies and we we kept in touch and we, we were both sort of at the right time to sort of say, well, let's get together and do some kind of business, technology business. Um, and, you know, I'd been working in that whole sort of risk management area around the world um, with people like Regis for a number of years. Um, <clears throat> and we sort of got talking about what were the missing ingredients. So the first one was that, um, in smaller businesses, um, there was nobody to call if you had a problem. So you had some kind of incident, you were effectively on your own to deal with it. And we came up with this whole concept that, you know, if you if you break down on the motorway in your car, most people ring the AA or the RAC or Green Flag and, the, and an expert comes to help and certainly takes them to a place of safety or fixes it or whatever. So in a business context, we we came up with the idea that why don't you call us, subscribe to our service, and we'll be like the AA for businesses and we'll help you fix the problem and all that sort of stuff. So that's sort of concept number one. Um, distribution is a problem with that. You know, we knew we could do it. But when when somebody calls you, um, so for example, if you if you if your Ford Focus breaks down and somebody comes along and you know the AA and they kind of know how a Ford Focus is wired and they've dealt with them before and all that sort of stuff. But if you get a call from a business owner, you've got to spend a lot of time in preamble saying, so what is it you do and what do you rely on and what's important and all that sort of stuff. So we rapidly sort of said, well, if we're going to bring lots of companies on doing this, it would be ideal if we knew a lot about them before they call us. And that's where you start getting into your planning. So if you sort of said, well, 
where's your business continuity plan where's where's this where's that you know where's give us give us a load of information about your business so if you then call in a panic one of our people will be looking at your pertinent information so the equivalent of the firebox or whatever um so that's really where this whole concept came from and then we sort of said well actually you know do you know what most people can't answer that question because they haven't actually got what we're looking for they can't find it so why don't we start by helping them find this stuff so let's build a place where they can publish this information um keep it private but secure and then other people can you know they can permission it to other people and to experts so for example they could click this click the select all and share it with us as a service provider and then we're looking at the same information as them so that's that's where our whole sort of platform idea came from um and then it's kind of been interacting with customers and them saying it would be really cool if it could do this or i've got a need to do that or it'd be awesome if you could do this for us and then it's sort of grown from there um to the point where now um you know, if you would have an incident or an accident or an investigation or whatever, you could then effectively throw the activity logging data from Track My Risks at the lawyers to prove your innocence or lack of culpability or whatever, um, because it's everything that goes on in that platform is evidential. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where it where it grew from, and it's um, it's we're, we're used by about just under three thousand companies now um, in terms of live user accounts um not all for their sort of enterprise risk some of it is just you know uh, i'm a main contractor construction contractor and i need to um, vet the insurance programs of a thousand subcontractors and suppliers so how do i ingest all that information securely check it's all okay and authorize them well that runs on our platform um we've just got a, a client coming in that are going to be um certifying roofers for competence roofing you know individuals so that upload of all your qualifications and all that sort of in a structured way is going to happen on our platform so it, it we go everywhere from a school where we do absolutely everything to a much larger organization where there might be one little business process that runs on our platform um, but it's all the same thing it's it's uploading documentation in a secure evidential way making sure the right people can see it and tracking the underlying sort of renewals and expiry dates that sit within each of those documents and reminding people that they need to do something again You've got to do this thing again. You've got to formally approve it. You've got to um, renew your insurance or whatever it is, times 30, 40, 50,000 pieces of documentation across the platform. So, yeah, it, it's um, it's quite simple, really, but mm. not simple to build and keep mm. secure and sell and all those other things. But, uh, yeah, in, in terms of what it does, it's, um, you know, it's not rocket science in terms of the concept, I don't think. Mm. So, would you what would you say like the vision of Track My Risk and what's the like the vision and values of, of what's um, your vision? I suppose is it that kind of to move forward onto that kind of breakdown cover as well, or or is Track My Risk kind of creating well, its own? probably probably more with a partner now. To be honest, I mean, I think we, we've got enough to do with the the software. I think you know, high level, um, the lofty goal is that you know we believe every organisation should have a track my risks-esque system in place yeah i would like it if everybody globally had a track my risks platform in place or an account in place because that would be wonderful um but you know other, <laughs> other people will come along but the reason for doing that is we save people a lot of trauma and hopefully we'll also prove that we save lives as well because you know something is it's going to be hard to, to pin down but you know you would think if, if an organization is managing risk effectively 
then it is less likely to fall under the proverbial bus in some way and that could affect people's lives. It could also be a commercial thing to take people's jobs. You know, you don't get that regulatory fine or, uh, you know, you don't lose that large customer or whatever because you've got your shit together. Um, so that's kind of really where our focus is. So then it's all about distribution. It's about volume. It's about, oh, you, you know, oh, you want to put 5,000 customers on the platform. Yeah, no problem. Let's agree a deal for doing that that isn't going to break the bank and is commercially viable because it's a good thing that they do it. Um, not let's have Glaxo and Shell as customers and each of them paying us, you know, £500,000 a year in license fees and, you know, only a small number of companies can afford this kind of weird software. We're very much about, you know, if anybody listening to the podcast wants wants a platform to manage all this stuff at home, then, yeah, feel free, send me an email and I'll spin you up an account, you know, and you can run your home life on it. That that kind of thing. We're very relaxed about the the price point. Mm. Um, and the engagement because it really does help people um, and uh, you know so that's our that's our strategy really and I think if we can if we can help people avoid incidents accidents mishaps by opening their eyes to something that they need to do or reminding them that they need to do something again then you know we've we've won so um, yeah we, we talked before about becoming the salesforce.com of risk um, which is one of our early sort of strap lines um, which we dropped but you know that that whole mm -hmm. thing if I want Salesforce I can get it from you know whatever it is 20 quid a month as a small business right up to being GlaxoSmithKline globally um, there's something for everybody um, mm -hmm. it's not just a something for the rarefied few because that isn't 99.9% .9 of the, the working world or the you know the consumer population uh, yeah I like that like one size kind of fits all not well yeah. not one size kind of fits all. we'll find a size that fits you I suppose is a better way to say it yeah I mean you know it, it, it let's take something simple like employers liability insurance okay so you know you employ people you need employers liability insurance or you're breaking the law effectively well so that's the same for a global multinational as it is for a two-man band so if if you've got that requirement and you need to retain that cover um, evidence of that cover for you know 40 years into the future or whatever well how do all of those companies solve that problem well they can put it in our platform and every year they go in and replace it with the new one and you build up a version history which is secure so in that sense everybody can use our platform and could need our platform now if I'm the two-man band in an unregulated industry I might only have 10 12 15 things that I need to track over the life of the company um, whereas if I'm that multinational, that could be 20,000, 200,000. But it's the same underlying process. Um, mm. It's just a more complex hierarchy in terms of parent-child hierarchies and you know permissioning and all that sort of stuff. It's the same thing. It's, it's mm. no different to putting it in a network folder and tracking it on a spreadsheet and putting renewal dates in a diary um, or in a, in a date column. It just automates that process and removes all the sort of the human or most of the human error from the process. In, in an evidential way so it's actually quite simple um it's just about the as as organizations get larger and more complex it just becomes a more complex implementation of the same underlying uh software so yeah it's but that that's where um our, our implementation partners help with that and they they go in and sort of map the process and sort of say well what are you doing so you know how, how are you coffee chain getting um, a copy of the, I don't know, food hygiene policy 
out to 500 stores simultaneously and checking that all of the managers have engaged with them. Well, you can do that with one, one push of a button through here, uh, or you can use the internal mail and you can send people around auditing and doing all of that sort of stuff at great cost. It's up to you. So they're, they're the sort of conversations we have with the larger companies. Okay. Who, who do you find like coming to you and, and when are they coming to you looking for this? So, so is it a safety professional? Is it normally the business owner or a responsible person? Um, and then that's question one. And then I suppose yeah. question two would be, um, when are they coming to you? Is it always after an audit? Is it always after the fireman knocks on the door or the local authority knocks on the door? Or, or are we getting an increase um, appetite for this kind of digital revolution, I suppose? Yeah, to, well, so to answer the second question first, because I'll probably forget the first one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, we're seeing a bit of a sea change that I think a lot of people are now saying, look, you know, we've got to improve this process. Um, I mean, there, for most organizations, there is a process that runs at the moment. It's just not particularly efficient. So a lot of it is a driver from, um, you know, one, one company came to us the other day and said, look, you know, we've got 16 health and safety uh, professionals, internal sort of audit health and safety people in the business. The manager of that team is looking to add on another four. Is there a way of using some technology that means that we don't have to expand the team at the moment could we become more efficient and get more out of the people that we've already got so the answer is yes so there's a cost driver to managing that compliance um we get a degree of companies or organizations that come to us that have failed some kind of inspection or have had a near miss um but they're not typically searching for what we do so <clears throat> they might be more concerned around so then normally they're introduced to us by people that know us um and then that's where your health and safety. So, so that one, one school, for example, failed a, an inspection on health and safety record keeping. They called in a, a consultant, health and safety consultant that specializes in schools. And he said, as a part of his recommendation, I suggest that you manage the controlled documentation and evidence on this platform. And then they called us and said, look, can we, and they've become a customer. So there isn't that sort of universal awareness at the moment because I think most people's default reaction is, well, I'll go out and create another spreadsheet. Um, and that tends to be the way that in small organizations it works. It's I've got a spreadsheet with 150 rows on it. All of the headings you know, are down there, the expiry or renewal date is in the column. And then I may or may not map that through to a network drive where the actual file is. Um, and then they employ somebody to stare at the spreadsheet and hopefully not miss rows that have gone out of date. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that the, there was a um, case recently that's just going through the inquest of a, um, of a little boy that um, was hit by a piece of cheese. Somebody threw a piece of cheese and he had an allergic reaction to it, um, tragically died. But as a part of that, the school um, had um, uh, an EpiPen, so a, um, a, a a steroid driver pen um, mm -hmm. to administer and it turned out that that was out of date and gone past its expiry date and that and the uh, as a part of the evidence they sort of talked about there was an error in the spreadsheet right you know they put somebody had put the wrong date uh into the spreadsheet and then it hadn't it's effectively the, the i think that the, the pen was a year out of date now whether that actually contributed to the, the boy's death or not i'm not sure but it to my mind was something that was easily avoidable in terms of an admin error you know there was no oversight on it obviously there was nobody checking the date 
there was no photographic evidence of the box which we would hold and there was no automation of the reminder process to say to the parents you need to send in another one because this one's expired so there's a whole series of failings there which mm. are eminently avoidable if you've got the right technology and the right process um so yeah there's there's one of the problems we have, James, is that whenever you go into an organisation, there are just so many things that we can help with. It's often a bit snow blinding, kind of where the hell do we start? Yeah. So normally it's, okay, let's let's do gas safety certificates or let's do fire risk assessments or you know, let's do your insurance documents or whatever it is, depending on the size of the organisation. And let's expand, from, expand out from that core because mm. uh, usually there's too much in too many pockets. Hmm. I might have a look for that that case study um, of that little boy. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's you, a school you... in Ealing. If you look through my LinkedIn feed, you'll you'll find it. Oh, um, okay. And yeah, I mean, they, they but they come up all the time. There was um, I think the there was a scandal in York. I think at York City Council a year or so ago, where they had a whole bunch of unlicensed taxi drivers, and I'm pretty sure that was due to somebody missing the renewal dates in the spreadsheet. Mm. Um, for whatever reason and nobody knew and then it all blew up something happened and people hadn't been licensed for years but they were driving around being taxi driver you know and it just it goes on and on and on in every organization we see mm -hmm. there's this massive unmanaged risk potential risk and you just think guys come on wake up we can sort mm. this now let's just get it done move on mm. <laughs> because it will blow up in somebody's face at some point definitely that's an interesting one from a causation point of view. I'd, from civil law, they would look at that EpiPen from a causation point of view, I think. like So did the fact that they didn't have that EpiPen cause the young boy to pass away? Or was it the fact that the cheese was thrown caused the child to pass away? That would that'd be an interesting case. Um, okay, so I suppose... If I'm listening to this podcast and, and and I'm thinking, wow, you know, Matt sounds and Trap My Wrist sound like that. That's what I need. How do they find you? How do they find Trap My Wrist? What does that look like? That process? How can they find out what what Trap My Wrist looked like? Okay. Before they spend well, their money. <laughs> yeah. Well, no worries. So trackmyrisks.com um, is the website, and there's videos on there, and there's contact us buttons, and there's screenshots and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, for, for me, I'm all over LinkedIn. I think I'm the only person with my name. So it's Matt Hodges hyphen long. So um, if you find that person, then that's me typically um, at Matt3TE on Twitter. Um, and just just hit me up and let's chat. And then we'll, we'll demonstrate to you and sort of really what we need to do to, for, for organizations is sort of understand the use case. And then we'll demonstrate that use case in real time um, because it, it can vary massively in terms of what you know, people are trying to achieve, you know, if you want to be uh, opening up accounts to all of your staff, for example, because you want to put their health and safety training records and compliance training records on there around the person, or you want to do customers, or you want to do business units, these can all be set up really easily. So we'll demonstrate it. So yeah, just just hit me up. Um, even if you completely disagree with what I'm talking about, always happy to chat, <laughs> um, engage on LinkedIn, um, not shy in coming forward on and things of things of interest on LinkedIn. Um, always open to new connections. So yeah, let's 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 talk. Awesome. And I suppose it would be good to would it be good for the your, your future customers to 
kind of know their biggest risk to be able to pick that one thing to focus on, like you said earlier about gas, or or would that be part of the conversation that you would have with them anyway? Um, it could be part of the conversation. I think most people often know. Um, it depends on the level of, you know, if I'm dealing with a health and safety team from within an organisation, they kind of know what's going on. If I'm dealing with a somebody that's an accountant that kind of has been thrown in the hospital pass of kind of, you know, you're now in charge of, you know, fire risk assessments or whatever, mm-hmm. Um, then often they need a bit more guidance. And then typically what we would do then is we would introduce them to people from our network that can actually go and do that work for them. You know, I'm not going to go and do a fire risk assessment, but if somebody needs one, I'll point them at the right people to go and help them. Um, so it's, sort of, it's a reciprocal sort of thinking about um, private people that are in private practice, you know, that, that might be introducing track my risk to their clients are also going to receive requirements from us in terms of new work for we will have clients from other areas that need their help and so it goes around Mm -hmm. um so we'll guide them through it and understand what the use case is and then typically we'll have managed that use case before um and then we can sort of show that operating and sort of within 20 minutes half an hour it's up and running you know it's, it's that quick it's not weeks or months or um you know it's a matter of minutes to actually sort of show what what is currently a spreadsheet process or a manual process showing that it's automated so you know that's simple we 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 rarely have to say no let's put it that way oh awesome awesome that's awesome thanks matt thank you very much for coming on the podcast as well no worries it's been been really good and look forward to hearing it Okay guys, I hope you found that useful. There's quite a lot of value bombs in there. If you like this podcast, give us a share. I know you don't want to admit you listen to Health and Safety Podcast, but it's good, right? Come on, there's a lot of value bombs in there. Give us a share. Hit like and subscribe. If you're on iTunes, give us a rating and a review. If you leave us a review, give it a screenshot and share it on Twitter at Rebranded Safety. Let us know so we can give you a shout out. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. Safe.